This podcast is brought to you by MSW Nutrition. MSW Nutrition is a supplement line designed to help support your body in as many ways as possible, starting with the liver. By helping to repair liver health, you're supporting your body's biggest detox organ so that it can do its job taking care of the rest of you. We carry supplements to help with mood, stress, energy, weight loss, gut health, immunity, and much more. Any product carrying the MSW Nutrition label will be produced in an FDA-certified lab and contain the most bioavailable version of those nutrients possible. Make sure to check out our website at www.mswnutrition.com to see all the latest stacks to help you reach your health goals. Hi guys, well welcome to the How Do You Health podcast. It's Friday morning, we're getting started here. And uh, I'm really excited about this episode <laughs> with Isaac because uh, <laughs> uh, we've been good friends for a while. And he used to come to our lunch and learns. And I forgot where we actually met. I don't know if it was one of those. But your restaurant tour here in Austin. Yes. But you came from San Francisco where you were also a restaurant tour. Yeah. But you changed true. your whole approach to restaurants because you're doing vegan, but you hate vegans. <laughs> <laughs> this is yeah that is the running joke um amongst me and my friends i mean obviously i i love what vegans do and what they do for the community but there's also um a lot of vegans that i think make it really uh they project this lifestyle to be very unattractive and off-putting and so uh i think the goal is to let the world know that we're not all like that yeah so and i did i love your food right but tell us a little bit about uh before we get into other stuff about that, the, what your restaurant, uh, I guess, approaches, like what's your, what your, uh, I guess, theme is, like, because I know, here, I'll, I'll tell you what I know, and then you can correct me. Okay. So, it's, it's almost like creating that typical, everyday, like, just comfort food, but making it vegan, so, to help educate that, look, like, you can have healthy food without uh, having to sacrifice, like, those usual flavors that you're so used to that it can be so damaging to you. Absolutely. I mean, I think you really hit it there. Our goal is really to make sure that we're producing, um, you know, plant-based food that um, really looks, emulates, and feels like food that people grew up with their traditions, cultures, and experiences. In other words, we want people to have this really sort of transcendent experience with plant-based food that makes them feel like they're not even eating vegan food, where there's they basically get... Um, the highest fidelity of the experience with very minimal compromise at all. And that's, that's, I think where the magic happens. Yeah. Yeah. And it is fantastic. That's, that's the goal. I mean, you know, obviously, you know, eating brown rice and steamed veggies at home is all good, but that's not really a way to get a lot of the masses to be more open to plant-based food. So we really try to have that uh, approach on like uh, American comfort, um, I mean, let's face it. Like, if I go to a baseball game, like, I want a hot dog. Yeah. I don't. I don't want like a vegan sandwich. But nowadays, at most ballparks, you can get a vegan hot dog, which is really cool. Yeah, and so that's part of <clears throat> what you, what that philosophy is, right? Like, like a lot of times people think vegans are like, oh, they only eat salads. Yeah, and and there's a lot of vegans out there that do stick to a similar style of diet, but I would say most vegans actually are very open, um, and. Thankfully, in the last five years, we've come such a long way with such, I mean, like really great products that you can almost 
have anything that you traditionally love, but in a vegan setting and almost not even know the difference. Yeah, I agree with that. And I personally love to uh, to cook in a vegan style just because I can get a lot of those flavors to be similar. For and, sure. Uh, and I think that you like eating at your restaurants. I think I've tried three different ones now. I've been to Plowbow. Okay. Um, where's the nachos that I got at? Oh, that's from Mission Street Burrito, which uh, is at the Buzzmill. Pizza before. Pizza. Like, which one did you have? Uh, long, didn't you have like a pizza joint at one point, or maybe you just served pizza at one of your? Places? No, we actually we were really. We're, I mean, we're still very close with uh, Possum Pizza. Okay. That might have been it because they are, their truck is right next to ours. Oh, well, there's Plow Burger and Plow. Uh, what's right next to it? Like well, the, Mission Street Burrito and uh, Pasta and Pizza used to be next to each other, yeah. but now um, almost everything's moved back to the Buzz Mill. So and, and over there you have Plow Bow and Plow Burger. Burger. So I've had both. So that's three spots, and I haven't been to your new spot, the the, the brunch spot. Oh, you got to come by, man. That's the that's the fun one. That's where you're at. Yeah, that's your ass off? that's the fun one. It's that's we've got really great food there. Um, just breakfast specials that you literally can't tell it's vegan. It's awesome. It's <laughs> fantastic. But now, so let's go back to a little bit to your history, right? Because what got you into this? Was it a health issue for you that you decided you wanted to do vegan? I think it was a combination. I was originally about, uh, I want to say, 10, 12 years ago, I was having a lot of digestive issues. Um, and honestly, I'd always felt a little bit conflicted about eating meat, even before I went vegan. The problem was, is I fucking loved the way meat tasted. I mean, meat tastes good. It's delicious. It's convenient. It's so ingrained in our culture in so many ways and so for me i never stopped eating it because it didn't taste good i stopped eating it because you know it was uh it was just one of those things that it just didn't feel good anymore you know and so i just i no longer wanted to be a poser when i looked at my plate and feel this like really conflicted sense of like having this having this meat or whatever on my plate and not wanting it um but eventually, I went and saw a doctor, and they told me this, that, and the other. And the bottom line is, they told me I had, you know, IBS. They did all these crazy digestive tests. And um, after an experience of going to a bunch of um, farms in the Midwest, I just decided I wanted to go vegan. And all my digestive problems, well, I'd say 90% of them went away. That's, that is so interesting, right, how that happened. Because, well, I mean, there's there's we had this conversation yesterday with the, with the doc and, and – they kept talking about, or she kept talking about, um, uh, uh, processed meat, right? Because that's different than like having very grass, you know, grass-fed, grass-finished meat that's that is raised in a, in a certain type type of setting and in a very healthy and a very, you know, nice environment for the animal, as opposed to like just being in a whole freaking ranch of just. This is they're just here to get slaughtered and processed, right? Yeah. And, and how much, well, that affects the environment, but it also affects uh, how we feel when we eat it. I mean, absolutely. I think that's like a really you bring up a really good point that so many people think they want to project in their mind that they think they're eating like wild elk that was like Joe Rogan and his boys harvested and they got. I mean, the reality is we don't eat like that. Yeah. No. That and it's like I know everyone wants to feel like they eat like that, and so. Even when you go to Whole Foods and you're buying like, oh, this is like level four sustainability, I can tell you that's straight bullshit. Like the bottom line is is if you want to continue – if if it's one of those things where it's like really hard to let go of meat, I totally get it. Like I understand. And so 
maybe it's just about making really, really conscious choices to work with like local CSA farm groups and being able to use whole animal and eating meat maybe once or twice a week instead of every day and supporting this, this system that makes us feel sick. And in addition to making us feel sick, it's uh, bad for the environment. It's bad for animals. It's bad for us financially. And so what you were talking about is confined animal feedlot operations. They call them CAFOs. And so we all want to think we don't get meat from there, but the fact remains is if you're not getting your meat from like a local farmer down the road, there's a very high probability that your animal was raised in a very dark warehouse and, you know, saw very little bit of a, let's just say, even a remote sense of a sentient quality of life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's now a part of why that conversation came up was because we were having a soy conversation, right? And, sure. And uh, there was, we were trying to bust some, or that conversation was about busting soy myths. Um, and I brought up a stat that uh, is partially true and, and, and where the idea that most soy grown in the U.S., like 90% of it, is is uh, GMO soy, right? It's probably higher than that, honestly. It's probably and, higher. And, and, but a big part of that reason is because the majority of, of the soy that's grown in the U.S. is for feedlots. Of course. Right, so it's different than, like, the soy you go to go, go, go get to at Whole Foods for to, to cook with for mm-hmm. yourself. I mean, it, that could be GMO, but most of the time it's not. You know, you don't, I mean, and you can find plenty of non-GMO soy at the stores for our consumption. Of course, yeah. Consumption. Uh, but it's the same thing as like going back to like whether that animal is like grass-fed or not, or, and like how it's raised. In the same way, plants can be raised in a very unhealthy way for us. As well. uh, absolutely. I mean, I think that and that's you know you bring up a really good point. So like when people explore, you know, if they're considering going plant-based, they're doing it for a multitude of reasons. For me, it was all just about like there's two main reasons for me. It was animal compassion and getting out of this extremely broken system, which we can talk a little more about here shortly but for a lot of people it's for health for a lot of people it's environment for a lot of people it's a combination thereof but but yeah i mean plants can be raised irresponsibly absolutely i mean and so the onus is on us as you know sort of yeah awakened consumers to make the best decision that we can in our everyday life you know i mean there's no such this is where it's like i kind of get these anti-vegan vibes where there's no such thing as a 100 percent purist vegan there just isn't. It's like, well, do you take birth control? Okay, well, that was once tested on animals. Do you drive a car that has leather in it? Well, hey, you know, so, uh, you know, windmills kill birds, tractors kill animals. Um, really, when if you're exploring veganism or if you just want to make more plant-based decisions on, on the daily, yeah. it's really just about doing your best to make a responsible plant-based de- decision at every opportunity that you have where you can easily do so, right? And so for a lot of us, that's pretty easy to do. Like even with yourself, I notice that when we eat, you're mostly plant-based, just kind of accidentally. I mean, I just I feel better with it, and I don't. Whenever I eat meat, I don't, like, which is like once uh, once a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't eat a lot of it, and I was, this came this conversation came up yesterday as well too, and, and I said like there there has been a, a time where like I went to two dinners and there was just like like you know business dinners. And they were doing steaks, and I and I had meat two days in a row, and I just feel heavier. Of course. And it just took me longer to get to get through that week, because um, I. But I also do things like six day fasting and all that stuff, and so like I'm very aware about how I feel when I eat different things. And for me, it's just like a little piece of meat satisfies what I need for like the week for the week. And then sometimes I'll go three or four weeks without eating a piece of meat. 
just because sure. at a default I just don't, and then and then it's more it's almost like I get that like I I really need some meat right now because whatever is my lifestyle right now it's not satisfying me. But I I I hear that in myself, and then I go and eat like a small piece of meat. It's not like I'm definitely not getting a 50 ounce steak. I mean, but that's the, those <laughs> those decisions you're making are like really really impactful and powerful, and I think a lot of people. You know, I get this a lot where people say, you know, I'm at the market. I'd really like to make more vegan choices, but the, the meat's already killed and it's dead, so I might as well eat it anyway. Yeah. And I think a lot of people have this mentality, and it's it's just not true. Every small changes make a difference. I mean, look at the milk aisle between yeah. now and seven years ago. It's not because, like, the whole world went vegan on milk. It's because people are making better decisions about you know, what they want to put in their body and a lot of, uh, you know, non-vegans are making small changes. And so it does make a difference. Are dairy cows uh, treated, are, are they the worst treated animals? So from from what I understand in terms of uh, sort of compassion and um, let's call it like humane treatment, they pretty much rank, that's the worst. Yeah. So you have, you know, really an, an animal that's Continue. I mean, it's an animal that's probably made to live 25, 30 years naturally, and it's impregnated consistently its entire life, more or less, for eight to ten years until it can't give anymore, and then it dies. And usually, dairy meat, like dairy cow meat, goes to like canned food and dog food and stuff like that. But the more fucked up part about the whole thing is, is that they take the calf away from its mother and they separate the calf, and that calf either goes to the veal market or some other market, and so. There's, I mean, plenty of videos online where you can actually witness these cows screaming in pure sort of sentient agony watching some guy in a tractor pull away their dairy calf so, you know, we can throw milk and cream and shit in our cereal. It's kind of like a – it's just a – I mean, I, I stopped it eating – it, it, it does. It really does suck, yeah. You know, I stopped eating milk way before I went vegan just because I was like, this is just fucking weird, man. We're like drinking the milk of another species – no, I mean, no one does that, for one. Yeah, it's just the weird. Ones that do that. <laughs> and then you're like, you know, and then I'll say, you know, we should drink milk from humans. And everyone says, I'm the fucking weirdo. It's like, okay, well, it's, yeah. you know, milk is designed because it has, like, the colostrum. It has, like, all the stuff, like, you know, I'm not a doctor, but it has all the stuff that young animals need to build their bone structure. And, yeah. you know, that shit's not for us. It's for the little calf that got whisked away. So, yeah, to answer your question, dairy is probably the most cruel. Yeah. Well, the thing about it is, like, uh, milk is the healthiest food for that particular ma mammal, right? Because it's like it has all the growth factors needed to take you from like a single baby to whatever you you know. However, the thing about it is that even as big humans, we grow to maybe 300 pounds. Let's say if you're a big human. For sure. Um, like let's say even like an athlete, right? That's healthy. 300. I mean, obviously there's humans that are like a thousand pounds, but that's not healthy at all. But like 300 is. 300 pounds, 200, I would say 200 would be a good average of a, of a, of a weight of a healthy individual male for us, right? Yes. Yeah. But that's that would be small compared to growth factors needed for a calf to grow from, like, this 50-pound thing to, like, this 2,000-pound thing. Absolutely. Which, which is what is in milk, right? Like, it's whatever is needed to get this thing to be able to start growing from its birth weight to – is max weight, which is like 2,000, 3,000, 5,000 pounds or whatever. Right, and we're not even getting that, for the, unless you live on a farm, we're not even getting that pure, what you're describing. We're yeah. getting it where it's like pasteurized, filled with this, filled with that, pus, this, that, and the other. And so, I mean, the thing with milk is like, it doesn't, the, the biggest issue with that is cheese, right? Because you meet people who are like, oh, I don't eat animals, but I can't give up cheese. 
you know, and so a lot of them are not eating animals because they care about animals, but the fucked up part is, is dairy is like one of the most cruel aspects of the sort of, uh, sort of a large agri-scale like feeding sort of machine it's just so fucked up and i think there's like a big disconnect there yeah that people don't understand but you know my personal styles like when i meet people and if they ask me about it i just try to meet them where they're at and you know it's like if you can't give up cheese high five keep up what you're doing and that's usually a great point to maybe invite someone over to my house which i used to do a lot of really cool supper parties and just get them to try some stuff that's like really that they've never had before to change how they might think about like what plant food could be which, you know, you guys have experienced some of that at our places. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. But back in uh, back in San Francisco, they weren't vegan restaurants that you used to have? No, absolutely not. I, I grew up, uh, my dad owned a ha- gourmet hamburger chain. Okay. And so um, originally when we were, I was working for him out of college, my dad was real big on like, really like natural meat, sustainability, ethically sourced proteins. I mean, he was big on that, you know, really in the 90s. And so... Um, he was kind of ahead of his time in that sense. And so we started with one store. We eventually grew to seven stores. But um, once I asked my dad, I was like, how do we really know this stuff is sustainably and humanely raised? Because I was still on that huge sustainable, humanely thing. And he was like, well, we have to have some professional trust with the companies, don't we? I said, well, but how do we really know? And then he said, well, how do we know that the meat they send us isn't kangaroo? And I said, exactly. That's my. That's the fucking point. Why don't we go find out? And so I called the company that we were working with. It was a, 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 back then it was a small farm. They're a lot bigger now. But I, I basically said, hey, we'd really like to see your process, your complete vertical and horizontal integration of, like, your process, your farmers, and you guys are paying for it. And they said, sure, come on. And so we did this crazy tour where we flew across the country to different states and cities and got to see these, like, really cool spots with Amish farmers who were, you know, raising pigs in a manner that was, you know, I mean, amazing at the time for the large scale. And we got to see confined animal feedlot operations in the distance, and you could just hear and smell the agony. It was really mind-blowing to see this juxtapositioning of, like, farmers who did something that was, like, you know, seemingly positive. And then literally in the background, you could smell and hear the suffering of just fucked-up death of, you know, all these pigs. And so that was, like, a huge awakening for, for me. And then we went to the slaughterhouses, and... Seeing an animal go from alive to a whole foods package in 38 minutes, like, really, like, fucked me up in some crazy way. I mean, it's efficient. It's an amazing marvel of the human species. There's, like, all sorts of really cool shit that you can associate with that. But it's also, like, how how are we going to feed the world like this? Yeah, it's interesting. It's just, like, this is crazy. How How have we gone to this? And so we're in this spot right now where even if you're a meat lover, for a lot of us, we're over-consuming confined animals. It's just that that's just the fact. I think even meat lovers know that. And so whether you're going to go vegan or not, that's, you know, I can't decide that for you. But I think we all know we have to make better changes with respect to the environment and our sustainability. And so um, in that tour, I was really exposed to all this crazy shit. And so as I did that, I was reading uh, the China study, um, which is probably the single most impactful book I read in my journey. Um, I read that. And then once we came back to San Francisco, I was like, I don't think I want to do this shit anymore. And so that was like the beginning. I mean, there was about two to three years of a push and pull of me finally going vegan because I fucking loved me and I still do. And that's just something I have to live and die with. Plus, but plus you knew how to cook it very well. I, I did. I loved cooking it. I loved the traditions, the experiences. And so for me, like some people, they see some crazy shit and they go vegan overnight. That wasn't me. 
I had this really long embattled push-pull journey between like my subconsciousness and my id and my ego and like looking at my plate and wanting to eat the meat because it tasted good and my friend cooked it and I loved how he barbecued and me then like going home at night and laying in bed and realizing that I'm a fucking poser and that like I have to live with the fact that I wasn't being true to myself. And so that took about three, four years of all that nonsense shit to work itself through my mind. And then eventually I was just like, this is where I need to be. And so I just let it go. And so I was like, you know what? I want to try to make all the shit I love, but in a plant-based way. And that's, that's how it began. And that's how you, the, the new Isaac was born. (laughs) (laughs) Slightly improved. The vegan vegan (laughs) preneur, right? (laughs) Literally. But so now, so you were, were you running restaurants in San Francisco at that point? Like were these your restaurants or family restaurants? They were my dad's. And so, um, we helped me and my brother helped my dad go from two locations to seven locations in San Francisco. Um, for anyone who knows, you know, San Francisco is a crazy, wild, expensive place. It's, very difficult to do business there, but um, so gourmet burgers are like twenty dollar burgers. Yeah, they were they're probably between like twelve and twenty bucks. Yeah, yeah, and we had built a really strong name for ourselves. We won best burger in the city, I think, seven eight years in a row. Nice. Um, we became like really a almost a household name in the upscale casual, uh, you know, gourmet burger scene in San Francisco, and so that was like you know a really beautiful experience in that journey. But I could tell you, I was like eighty pounds heavier. Nice. You know, because I was around all this food all the time, and <laughs> you're living this crazy lifestyle, and so that kind of wears on you, too. Yeah. You know, sure. so, um, but yeah, we did that for a long time, and thankfully, my dad was open enough to where I was like, look, man, we need to put some vegan shit on the menu. And he was like, he was really into it. In fact, he got so into it, he developed his own vegan burger patty that we launched at all our stores, and we even started selling it at the farmer's market. That's badass. This was like before Beyond Meat and before Impossible, and it wasn't like meaty, it was definitely more on the granola fucking granola side but it was just cool that we had a platform to sell more plant-based food out of those burger restaurants that made me feel really good that's better so you like you you had a little taste of like what it was to run a bit like a vegan like i said at least portion of a business right yeah yeah no and then after that i ended up um yeah did you guys make changes i don't know why i'm asking this but did you guys make like small changes of like hey this could be vegan let's just make that vegan because it's one ingredient or something like that yeah, well, I mean, what ended up happening is, like, there was a few things going on. One is, like, me at the center of the operations, I was starting to tilt towards, like, very pro-vegetarian. I wasn't vegan yet, but I was, like, very pro-vegetarian, pro-vegan. There was that going on. Also, the movement was really starting to kind of, like, birth and blossom in a way where, I mean, obviously, it was, like, in the mid-2000s, but, you know, plant-based was very curious and very, very happening. And so we wanted to be, you know, part of that sort of, like, trailblazing trend in our restaurants and say yeah we have badass gourmet burgers of all kinds vegan vegetarian and then we ended up getting to the point where we had like five or six different vegetarian and vegan burger options it was really cool actually and um it was just great because we had something for everyone that's cool you know and uh that that that's kind of how that happened and uh the burger the the places have since closed down my brother has revamped them into a new brand that's doing really well but 80 percent of his menu is completely uh vegan accidentally and so making those like well this could be a vegan choice 100 percent. Right. it's like it's called bait rima it's like about uh arabic comfort food he was nominated as a my brother was nominated as a like the one of the top 30 uh michelin new restaurants of the year last year and his he still serves fish he serves chicken he serves beef but it's really interesting to see that 80% of the menu is just 
it's Mediterranean food. It's kind of like naturally vegan. Yeah, sure. And so they do really they sell a lot of plant food there, which is awesome. That's cool. That's really cool. But when you moved you moved to Austin, what two years ago? Uh, almost seven years ago. Oh shit, I, I'm completely wrong about that. Yeah. Uh, but then so then when you made the decision, whenever you opened your restaurants, like they were just gonna be vegan. I mean that didn't happen right away. Like after the burger thing, I got into a cheesesteak business for seven years, but I sold a shit ton of vegan food out of there. Um, I was basically helping a friend start a business and I just got trapped. It just got comfortable. And eventually I was just like, I don't want to do this anymore. So I sold out of it and I packed my shit and I moved to Austin and I promised myself I'd never go into food again. And so that's not how that worked out, but, (laughs) um, well, you're good at it, right? Like right now you're, you're freaking running like six restaurants. We are, we have a really good team. Thankfully, um, we have a, a great ops team. We have great leaders, but, um, I decided that, you know, my business partner, Jason Sabala and Ray have been really supportive, but they've kind of seen Jason really was at like ground zero witnessing my transformation of becoming like a person who loved vegan food and was like really into it in his personal life and sharing with his friends to really being like, I want to monetize this in a way where like I want this to be like how I make money because I believe in it. It's important. It solves a community problem. And the community is thirsty for it. And so I basically took all my American comfort food experience I'd built over 20 years and I was like, let's fucking veganize shit. And we'd sit in Jason's house doing, building burgers from scratch, trying all sorts of things, trying different cheese. I mean, you guys, you know, this was like six years ago. So it was like, I think Daya was like the gourmet cheese at the time, which was not very good back then. Let's be real. Yeah, so, um, we were in there doing all this crazy shit and, um, I kept pitching the concept to, you know, to him and a few others, a few other well-known places in town that I'm not going to mention, but I pitched them my concept for Plowburger, and they didn't, they kind of liked it, but they were like, well, maybe you should also sell meat too. And I was like, that's not the point, bro. <laughs> the point is to sell food that looks and feels and tastes like meat to meat eaters, but not have it be meat. And so I think Jason just got so sick and fucking tired of hearing me try to pitch this. He was just like, I'll tell you what, why don't you do that buzz and we'll go partners. And so he gave us that chance, and that's how the business was born here in Austin. That's legit. That's pretty legit. It's funny because we uh, we had a dinner for uh, for a bunch of our nurses, like, I don't know, two years ago or something like that. Maybe, what is it, John, like two years ago? Uh, and I made, like, a pasta, like, a, like a, almost like a spaghetti uh, dish with sides and all, and all that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made two versions of the pasta. I made a vegan version, and I made a a regular like meat version um the vegan version was uh, w- was jackfruit um Ooh. And, and i have a process for baking it to get the sweetness out of it so it tastes more like like meat um which i can share with you later. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't give me all your secrets <laughs> and uh uh so i just and i served it and i said and i just because they were sitting at the table and i was like hey the the one at the on the back of the back burner is the, is the vegan one the one on the front burner is, is the non-vegan one uh, or is the meat one? And they're like, okay, cool. And I guess they just—I don't know if they didn't pay attention to me or not. But at some point, someone made a comment, like, "It's like, well, I guess no one ate that vegan stuff. Like, you guys are gonna have a lot of food left over." And I was like, "No, you guys ate the vegan one." <laughs> like, For sure. And they just never noticed it. And and they're like, "But that one, this one tastes so much better than the than the other one, and it tastes more like meat than the other one." I was like, "You just—I think you just have a an idea of like what you wanted it to taste like, and this." tasted yes. more like that than this did and you just went with it but and you didn't question it <laughs> and and that right there what you just described is really the genesis of what like our business and my personal philosophies is, is built on 
is by that example right there is that people who love meat want to eat more plant-based foods and that's great that was yeah. a per- that's like a perfect example of it right like when we do these cookouts at buzzmill we'll do like a crawfish boil and then we do something called the gnawfish boil we used to do them on separate days because we didn't want one party to defend the other then i think last year we were like fuck it let's do them together and then we'll give people tickets and they could choose either crawfish boil they could use choose the vegan gnawfish boil or they could use the half half in the mix and we try to predict we're like maybe we'll get a few mixes we had more people who wanted the half half than anything else yeah so curiosity well it begins with curiosity literally and so we were all like we were just shocked we were like whoa we couldn't believe how many meat eaters were like some of them came up and were like listen i still love crawfish more but that vegan shit was amazing yeah. And so for us, that was like this huge awakening that really confirmed our belief already that um, like really making this plant based movement stronger isn't about converting everyone into like these, you know, sort of like 100 percent dogma consumed vegans. It's about getting the general public to con- try more plant based foods in a manner without like vilifying them, converting them. And like, you know, because no one wants that. Right. Yeah. No one wants some pie. We got enough pies vegans out here. Fuck, I hate all, like, those are the ones I just can't stand, right? <laughs> so, because they're not really helping. They're yeah. just showing, they're just projecting to the world at how pure they believe their journey is versus trying to meet people in the middle and be like, hey, like, that's cool, man. Like, you like that crawfish? That's cool. Try this vegan one while you're, while you're at it. And then that just, that's just like, you keep giving these people these opportunities. And if you don't believe that to be true, look at Beyond Meat stock price. Yeah. I mean, people, like, that's not being fueled by all vegans. That's being fueled by people like, you know, whoever who just know they want to make better decisions in their everyday life as long as they can eat it and not have this like compromise in the fidelity of their experience where they can eat a burger that doesn't taste like cardboard. In fact, they want to eat a plant based burger that tastes as good or better than a regular burger without, you know, so it tastes the same or better. And it's better for me. Like, yeah, of course I'm going to choose that. And better for the environment, you know, and like lighter on your stomach. And so that example of your pasta to me is like, that's it right there. That's all the magic you need to know about the movement right there in one example. Yeah. We got Nurse Doza joining in now. Yeah. Uh, ISIS morning throws everything off in Austin, Texas, man. I'll tell you that (laughs) much. We don't don't have a job in this weather. So (laughs) Um, the the interesting thing you said about a burger, though, was – there's like mushroom burgers. There's bean burgers. There's there's been around for years. Like it's nothing new to substitute for a like a vegetable, and it's it's great. I've tried it throughout the years. Like anytime there was like a mushroom burger, like you've done it before plenty of time. I mean, you can cook a mushroom like so many different ways, right? I think what's interesting, and I know you mentioned the the debate we had, not even debate, but the discussion we had yesterday about uh, plants. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the idea of going plant-based with anything that you do, would, no matter what your diet is. Because, I mean, to this day, we don't need research to tell us that veggies are good for us, right, which is, which yeah. is pretty incredible. But I'll never forget when I had your, uh, when I had your chicken wings. Oh, yeah. yeah. Right? And the bone is what, sugarcane? Yeah, it's sugarcane bone. Yeah, and so it tastes just like a chicken wing, like just straight up like you would not know the difference. Like it, and it's it was delicious. That's the goal. We want people to. I mean, when someone's like, "Man, I can, can't even tell that's vegan." That's like really high praise. Yeah, and and just like the nurses that one time, it was really cool because I was looking forward to eating the the vegan food, and then it was gone. And I was like, "That's fine, no big deal." But you know, it, there's if you care about anything, you care about the idea that it's real food, 
right? Right. And so if you can know where the source is coming from, essentially, mm-hmm. like anything can be made out of real food. You can make uh, you can make desserts. You can make uh, tacos, right? Like you know, which is one of the things we do here in Texas. I'm sure we moved here. You were like, dude, everything comes in like a tortilla now, right? Crazy. <laughs> Facts. Facts. <laughs> yeah. But it's cool because, like, as we've talked about the years, too, you've incorporated what you've learned about your health into the food that you're serving now, right? For the most part, yeah, I'm trying. Yeah, well, it's it's great, though, because you can tell, like, we've talked about, like, the oils and we've talked about, you know, the seasoning. And I think all of it plays a big role because most people – and I think this is, like, an old-age kind of mentality that people will say, ah, just, healthy food doesn't taste good. And I'm like, are you serious? Like, are you? You had like the most delicious avocado or pear, like when it's just really juicy, right? Like pineapple or melon, like you know, no. just dripping, like cantaloupe, right? Like just all those really great, great flavors. But then, like when he, oh, he when he lived with us, honestly, I realized how great of a chef he was. Baldo could make anything spicy or non-spicy, but he cooked with ginger and turmeric, very much so in replacement for a lot of the foods that we needed, especially with me and my diet. And it's incredible. Like spices can can change everything, right? I mean, yeah, that's what we use to. That's a, that's like the whole running joke in the vegan world, right? Is we're using plant spices to flavor our meat. Yeah, so, yeah. <laughs> literally. So. That's a good point. And I I look at my medicine cabinet above the stove, right? And I have like cumin and fennel seeds and turmeric and then black pepper, this Himalayan salt, right? I mean, what else would you? Oh, ashwagandha and maca. Oh, those are good ones. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is I'm still trying to get the flavor of that one right. But do you, do you have certain spices that you always try to go to, like whenever you're cooking? So for the most, like in my personal in my personal realm, absolutely. Like I like um, I love using like really high quality salts. I love um, I love using like turmeric for anti-inflammatory. In my personal space, in the business, our our mass appeal, we don't have a lot of that yet. We're just we're really focused right now on. Uh, transparency, being super allergen friendly on the business side, and incorporating, you know, less oil, making those small changes. But the stuff like that you and I talk about with those spices, that's like more home style, where, you know, so I don't want to say it's like sort of Ayurvedic influence to some degree, but, um, you know, if you go into my cabinet and you open it up, it smells like a fucking shaman's mushroom hut, right? It's got like, you know, Fennels, like crushed fennel seed, like ashwagandha powder, turmeric, all this like hippie granola shit, which I personally, <laughs> you know, I love eating that in my home. Unfortunately, that's just when like the mass market is not there yet. We're yep. still on our, we're still on our way. We're getting there. Yeah. But, um, but no, that, that stuff's like really important, you yeah. know, and it, and it doesn't look, the bottom line is like, we were t- going to talk about this earlier. Like our medical system is broken as it is. So the onus is on us to do the best we can to make, you know, ourselves and our journey better. And that's something we talked about recently. Yeah. And I, I think uh, I look at y'all as the food community leading the way in the change and the revolution in healthcare in this country. Because we vote with our health when it comes to voting by buying your food and buying the meals that you serve. Because we can choose to buy anything off of Uber Eats, right, in favor, right? And especially during this past year, you really chose where you wanted to go out and eat and spend your money. Otherwise, you're staying home, right? Right. And so if you supported local business, you know, you really emphasize going to places that you know where you knew that people really cared about their food, right, and the quality of it. And 
I think the the like you look at our friend Katie with violent potions, mm-hmm. right? What she's doing and what y'all did with Brunchbird, right? I mean, essentially, like it was an overlap of these brilliant minds who really care about food so much they literally created companies, right? To say like, all right, if the food is not going to be healthy enough, healthy enough for us as an option, we're just gonna make that option. Yeah, absolutely. And what, now that you mentioned that, it's like we actually uh, collaborated with her and yep. launched a new menu item a couple of days ago, which is amazing. But we're able to offer this incredible soy-free, gluten-free, allergen-friendly granola bowl as a combination of putting like her minds together with our minds and the minds of a few others to make something that tastes amazing, that's super allergen-free and super, super healthy. So, I mean, only in Austin, right? Yeah. <laughs> Literally. But, but, but on that note, I think it's a template, and we've talked about this many times with, like, Austin Health Club and just the idea of what we want to do as far as seeing the healthcare in this country. And when we talk about it, we're very ambitious. Uh, the richest guy in the world lives here now and just said this, what, yesterday, that Austin's going to be uh, the he's going to see the biggest boom in America in 50 years. Right. It's about I to happen. And I'm sure all the Austinites are just like, you know, oh, here we go, right? There's going to be more people come here. Well, they, It's a template. Right, and so right now the world's focused on Austin, and so anything that we do, anything you do, right, with Plowburger, with Brunchbird, with with uh, Mission Street, I mean, it's going to be magnified, and it's cool, right? Yeah, yeah. We, I mean, we we hope it's magnified. That's the whole point is to encourage more meat lovers to try our food. That's like, that's that's how we create change. Yep. You know what I mean? So, people don't understand that like, would I? I'd rather see a thousand people who are not vegan agree to eat one plant-based meal a day rather than create a hundred vegans who eat four plant-based meals a day. Cause it's 400 meals versus a thousand meals a day. And so our platform, especially here in Austin allows us to be able to give people the opportunity and not just our businesses. There's a lot of other plant-based businesses too in town that do this, but um, we could get this chance to show meat lovers that they can make small changes with like minimal compromise to their experience. And that's, right. and that's really cool because as the magnifying glass looks at us, hopefully other people can be like, let's do that in our community. How can we collaborate? How can we, how can we do this in our hometown? So that's the hope. We'll see what happens. Yeah, I, I think it's happening. I think I, – I mean the more and more I see it – I mean how many choices do we have for healthy plant-based food here in Austin, right? I mean we eat – I mean we could pick like breakfast, lunch, and dinner. Literally, right. yeah. stop. I mean, we're very we can fortunate. We pretty much go anywhere and get a vegan option at this point. Yeah. in Austin, we yeah. are very fortunate. It's really cool, but I'm, I'm very like, but it's interesting though because y'all also have this community amongst mm-hmm. each other, right? This almost mutual respect amongst each other that you know that you're kind of doing something for the greater good. Absolutely, right? And uh, we had, um, we had a get together not too long ago of friends who were all in the plant-based community, and we talk about like four or five major businesses that are actually some of them are national right and you were like wow this is incredible and we're all like friends yeah right like when you it was like y'all and y'all mixed with credo mm-hmm. right yeah and then uh and and then y'all have the cashew queso like on pretty much everything right yeah we sell it actually at all our spots and and adam and maddie are amazing people and i, I love supporting them they've been they're just they're just true just Amazing souls, man. Really yeah. amazing. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's really cool because like we're all friends with y'all, <laughs> and you know, and we get to we get to sample everything. We have like I give a shout out to like Nautamu. You know, they have the scoop For shop sure. right off Lamar. Hundred percent. You talk about change. Uh, how many places could you do like plant based vegan ice cream? 
I mean, Austin's got a few in this town, which is really great. And, you know, Nadamu's gotten, Nadamu's like, they're national. I mean, how amazing is that? I mean, look at Mike, dude, when he had Antisocial, which is still out there in the Oasis. You have tourists that are coming in from all over Texas, wanting to see the lakes in Central Texas. And they want ice cream in the summertime, right? And they're going straight up Antisocial and getting delicious, what was that, coconut-based, right? Well, they had different ones. Coconut, coconut, almond. Almond. Yeah. And it, it's great, right? You have allergens. You can do coconut-based. And I actually choose that over dairy because I think dairy messes with my stomach, and I think it messes with my digestive tract. And honestly, per, uh, me as a practitioner, I don't think I don't think humans were designed for, like, a lot of cow milk consumption and dairy consumption. It just – unless you're doing, like, the Amish style, and I don't see anyone churning butter, you know, to get what they want out of it. But, I mean, it, <laughs> yeah, it's literally. – I really think that we don't need as much cheese as we eat in this country. Like, that's just my personal opinion, but. We don't. I mean, we talked about this a little bit earlier in the podcast, but yeah, I mean, you know, dairy is also just like incredibly inhumane and there's just, there's so many great alternatives right now. I mean, we have rebel cheese in Austin. It's, it, it's a fucking vegan cheese shop, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's I mean, too, actually. what fucking planet are we on? How awesome is that? I know. It's pretty awesome. It's like, <laughs> and literally, I mean, we've got literally, it's like a New York style gourmet deli that serves fucking 35, 40 different cheeses from all over the country, including their own. And we have it right here in our backyard. Yeah. Yeah. And so and it's all vegan. It's all, all vegan. vegan. So it, it's yeah. it's a template for that it's it's doable. I think more anything else, right? For the people who hear this and and say, well, I haven't been to Austin. I'm not going to be going to Austin. I'm out here, or whatever. It's just that people are doing it. Just come to Austin. I mean, you can, <laughs> you can come to Austin. You're not you're not going to want to leave. But it's more of like you can do this for yourselves. And we've we are fortunate enough to be able to pick and choose what we do with our food. But I think more importantly, going forward. The battle for health will be decided on food. You bring up a really, really great point on that. And, I mean, for me, like, some people have different reasons for why they go vegan. I think we talked about this earlier. My number one is, like, animal compassion. But my number two is not actually – it's not really health or environment, although those are really important to me. The number two for me is, especially after being a little sick recently, is breaking out of this fucked up, indoctrinated uh, food supply medical system we have where – we have this fucked up system where we grow plants, a shit ton of plants, and then we feed these plants to animals. Uh, those farmers are paid subsidies so that they can serve it extremely cheap, which means they're raised poorly. We eat that shit, and then we get super sick. Yeah. And then our same, our same tax subsidies that go to, like, politicians and big pharma, once you get sick, you go see the doctor, and they're like, oh, here's a pill that is going to fix that for you. By the way, the pill's made from fucking plants. So you're basically eating this intermediary right, this animal that eats grass, like sunlight, gets all this shit. We eat it because we've been indoctrinated and told that it tastes delicious, and it does taste good, despite the fact that it's not good for us. And then we go to the doctor, and they give us pills made from the same fucking plants. And so, and then we... and then we just eating the plants in the first place. Literally, you might as well just cut out the middle, man. And so, and then we ask ourselves, why are we sick? What's wrong with me? And so the people go to the doctor. The doctor prescribes a cholesterol pill or Lipitor or whatever it is. I don't know why doctors are just like, yo, bro, chill on the animals, like slow down a little bit. I mean, obviously not everyone's going to go vegan, but we have this really fucked up system. And then on top of that, all our monthly premiums are through the roof because people are falling victim to this sort of subliminal indoctrination. And I just got to a point where I don't want to be part of that indentured. It's almost like I won't call it like servitude or slavery, but it's like this indentured machine we've been built into and 
I don't want to be part of that shit no more, man, because they got a system where we're paying them to kill us. Yep. Literally. That's yeah. what's going on. Yeah. Where they're making money off us so that we can die, and they keep using us as experiments. They keep, keep creating more fucking pills. They yep. keep taking more of our tax dollars to, quote, unquote, bail out farmers. These guys aren't farming. They're growing animals in warehouses. That's not farming. Yep. And so who pays for it? We do. We yep. pay for it with our life, with our health, with our tax dollars. And so I just got to the point where I was like, fuck all this shit. Like, listen, there's no one on planet Earth that loves a bone-in ribeye or carnitas more than the man you're staring at right now. But I had, you know, I just knew, like, I didn't want to be a poser anymore in my own journey. And so I gave it up. I don't expect the world to do that. But even just making small changes during your everyday week will have an impact. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's changing your mindset. It's changing and being aware of what you're putting into your system. And I think the bigger picture of what you alluded to was we have a system that wants us sick. I mean, there's, there's no other way around it. And if you haven't figured that out by now, then you're not paying attention. And, and this is your wake-up call. And thankfully, you stumbled across this podcast. So if you look at the overall picture, there's about, what, 50, 60 years of soil left to farm and we have to hurry to change that approach. And when you look at what's at stake, you're getting food that comes from the earth because the earth provides what we need in order to survive, right? Earth provides trees for us, and trees help us breathe, right? Because back to the kindergarten idea that they provide oxygen, we take that oxygen and we breathe. So if you don't have plants, you don't have trees, right? And essentially, like, if we're looking at it, now we're thinking, do we need trees for the soil to be better? Yes, of course we do, because it gives back to one another. We give off things like carbon dioxide. It goes back into the plants. It makes photosynthesis happen, and now you know they're generating heat and ATP on their own, right? Like I mean, it just it's it's a mirror image. But then if you look at it, it's deeper than that. The microbacteria that grows in the soil, and the viruses that live in the soil, and the parasites that live in the soil. When you eat the food from that soil, you take all those germs, and it goes into your digestive tract, and it forms something called your flora which is your microbiome. What people should know by now is that the microbiome is your communication system with your brain. I learned this yesterday. The adrenal medulla has neural tissue, which is incredible. So we have more than one brain. Our heart's a brain. Our gut's a brain. We have apparently a brain in our adrenal glands. Mm -hmm. And it's incredible because it has to communicate between one another. And what happens is anytime you introduce processed foods, processed sugar, processed medications, GMO medications for crying out loud, all that disrupts that flora and the microbiome. And when people choose to eat something packaged that did not come from this earth, essentially you're wiping out and not feeding that environment that wants to live inside you. That's a mirror of the environment that surrounds you. And that's the bigger picture we're looking at is that if you want to look at anything over the past year and a half, if you haven't been eating healthier food by now, you're paying for it in many, many ways. And whenever you choose not to invest in your own health by spending two extra dollars on something that's healthier for you because, you know, in the long run, that means it's two less dollars you have to spend on medication when you're older. You pay either way, right? You pay either you way. Pay either way so. And I'm looking at it now is that we're too narrow-sighted. We need to look long-term. If you didn't think you were going to live tonight, you ate like shit thinking you are going to, you know, pop one off at like 70 and be like, that's it. No, that's fine. But for the rest of us who want to live a long, healthy, quality of life, I don't want to end up on a ventilator. I don't want to end up on dialysis. I don't want to end up missing a foot because I couldn't control diabetes. And I really I, – the most passionate thing that I'll leave you with this is that the number one problem we have with health in this country is not the idea that you don't have the ability to get healthy food. We have a waste problem in this country, right? That's not the issue. 
the number one problem in this country is that anything that you choose to eat has sugar in it. And the biggest lie that we were ever told when it comes to our health was that fat was bad for us and it caused heart disease. And if you want to know what's going on right now, one out of four people in America will die from heart disease this year. In 2021, one out of four people will die from heart disease this year. And the number one culprit is sugar. Everything has sugar in it because why? It tastes good. And I'll never forget you walking up and down the aisles over at uh, HEB, and you were like, dude, everything has sugar in it. Like, I can't pick one thing out that doesn't have sugar in it. And it's disguised as this, and it's named as this. Maltodextrin is gluten, right, as well. You know, you have all these little secret things that you can put in there, and what happens is it just tears you up. That's the, that's the fertilizer, the groundwork for changing your whole system. And if you were to just do one thing that you're like, you take away this whole podcast, you're like, all right, I'm going to eat plants. All right, that's cool. What if I took away less sugar from my diet? Eating more plants and less sugar in my diet would do what? It would lower your risk of heart disease. And it probably change the world. If everyone could just operate with that mentality, well, I should eat more plants and less sugar. Like that would probably have an incredible impact on our medical system. Yeah. Literally. Yeah. I totally want to have a sugar tax. Like I want to run for mayor and have a sugar tax. I mean, it's in everything. Literally. And it would be, it would change, the, it would change everything. So that, so that that could pay for, for, for fucking medical. That's all. I mean, that's the whole thing, man. Is like, and, and I don't want anyone to be listening to this to think that like I'm asking them or wanting like this isn't a, a ploy to convert anybody like everyone's in their own journey but even when you meet like um there's some great guys in our group as you know who are like diehard carnivores and some of them are like the true real carnivores where they literally will only eat like wild elk and wild boar like and themselves. and you know what i have so much respect for that i mean at least that way it's like animals quick kill the animals not pumped with all this bullshit that's like whole animals used um i you know i don't subscribe to it personally but if the whole world was able to eat like that this world would be completely transformed and so uh, you know a huge takeaway from this i think is you know it's it's not about like being vegan i mean if you want to explore it this is a great time to do it but it's really just about how can i incorporate more plant-based foods into my lifestyle particularly ones that aren't as processed um to make better decisions for my health and for my community. It's like really simple. Easy. And if and if everyone was like, fuck it, let's just like try to eat more plants and eat less sugar, I think you'd see an amazing change across like I mean, sugar is just like, you know, that's the virus. Yeah, but really. there'd be a lot less sick people, and that means the pharmaceuticals would hurt. But that's uh, that <laughs> so I know. That, <laughs> I read this yesterday. So the big pharma right now, one company for twenty twenty one up to this point now, has made $15 billion off their recent medication that was released. Are you released. talking about six weeks? Uh, yeah. $15 billion off this so far, and there's a shortage because they're creating a demand. What's incredible about it is if they short that and they create a demand for it, the price goes up. Well, are we shorting food right now, right, because that's the next thing that's about to happen? And is the price and value of food going to go up in the future? Because is it going to be harder to get your hands on something organic? I mean, it will be if our soil, I mean, from everything you, like you've been saying and I've been seeing and reading, I mean, soil's got like 50 to 100 years left. Right. And yeah. so that's kind of scary because then it's like we all need to start really figuring out how to grow own shit in our backyard. That's right. And we better do it soon. That's right. Because then it starts turning into like the zombie apocalypse where people start stealing your shit because they can't grow it themselves. I, I thought right? about this already. We, we already do that. <laughs> they basically give us the chance to buy dirt because our backyard like i look at my backyard and the backyard is like just topsoil right mm -hmm. it's all sod and then i'm like damn like you have to get through the limestone 
and and just to get to like real dirt. Yeah. And so I have to go buy dirt to make new dirt for sure to grow stuff. And then what I see is that people do all these top gardens, right? Like above ground gardens. And what happens is none of those nutrients get into the soil. And so I'm thinking like, all right, just like you keep saying, the community aspect is what will change the grassroots campaign of the whole soil aspect, right? Because you would have to I've talked I've talked to someone about this before and they basically said it's composting. Right? So if you basically compost, which the city of Austin has done in recent years, which I think is, is, is I applaud them to do that, you basically give back to the soil, right? So um, I've, I've talked to Rod one time, and he was like, man, we do like 20 gallons of compost a week at least. Like they give away? They, they produce like themselves yeah. like because they have, to, they have to do something with it. Think about all the scraps they have left over. But do they donate it? I don't remember. They, they, they do, and then they'll give it back to their garden. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. So it's kind of this like – the cycle, right, as well. And I think what's really cool is that if we if we kind of got the, the you should just get them to donate to you. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I I think we should do something with that. And because all that seamount has a bunch of yeah, minerals, and like, if you're throwing some of that into your ground, I bet you that you get a lot of. Well, I thought there. about this. So if we get some land, when we do, all right, what I'm going to basically do is have the ultimate super garden, all right, and what we're going to do is grow medicinal foods. Right, and so what we're going to do is we're going to take y'all's compost and just take like all the ones in Austin of our friends and just dump it there, and then try to grow whatever we can out of it, right? Because you still get nutrients out of it, right? Even out of that, there's still nutrients you could put back in the earth, like chicken she- chicken egg shells. Damn, I just want to right? spice your jalapeno. That's all I want. <laughs> That's what he wants. He wants the ultimate like pepper. I think it's here already. <laughs> uh, the only thing you gotta look too far. And it's a psychedelic pepper. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's so the ghost sick. pepper. It's the ghost pepper. Like Most it says, right? Taking some guacamole, you just start dipping balls. I mean, I'm just saying we could do it. We could do it. We could it's do already it. here. We could literally do it. It's like, oh, I know a guy, right? Yeah, I know yeah. a guy. We yeah. could yeah. literally do it. <laughs> we could literally do it. I it's mean, gonna happen. Guacadelic. It's well, okay. Just to, just to let you know, people. Going back to the earth, one of the things that what well, well, like, uh, the, yeah. the 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 <laughs> cannabis bills that were passed in the past couple of years were in favor of agriculture, right? Because if you kind of help with that, and you look at what like about to happen, I mean, it's going to be legalized throughout the country here very soon, like three or four years. What wakadelics? Yeah, we're going to have that growing from a Fuck, from a tree. Yeah. <laughs> That's badass, actually. I'm in. I'm in. I'm, <laughs> I'm ready. I'm ready for more journeys. That's hilarious. It's all plant-based, right? <laughs> I, I, sure, I sure hope so. <laughs> it's organic. It's all organic. That's badass. Well, uh, I think that's, that's a good stopping point there, yeah. right? So, uh, Isaac, man, in all your glory of you being a badass business owner and just nonstop hustler all the time, where can the good people find you? Uh, the Well, a plow burger. Um, that's like obviously the the number one flagship we have to try our food. Um, Mission Street Burrito, um, Plow Bow. Um, we're working on Lo Pans, which is like a really cool '90s Chinese mall food concept. That's Fuck it's yeah. it's really good actually. But outside of that, you can find me here at MSW Lounge about <laughs> once a week, sometimes twice a week, <laughs> or just uh, you know cruising the trail or hanging out with uh, my homies at Squatch Gym. There you go. Squatch. So I try to keep my life I'm really trying to keep my life simple these days. That's badass, man. Well, thank you for doing this, man. Most definitely. Thank you, guys.
This podcast is produced by Flabs to Fitness, Inc. Flabs to Fitness is an online wellness company that specializes in mindful eating, personalized workout programs, and offers a subscription workout program for 20-minute workouts you can do anywhere. We also have a brand new online workout community called Online Workout Badasses, where we have three donation-based Zoom workout classes a week and an amazing community of people who are all working to be healthier together. Please join below in the show notes. It's also a social media content firm for creation and scheduling of content and engagement with your fans on a variety of platforms, including this podcast. Find out more about Flabs to Fitness at www.flabstofitness.com.